Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. So wonderful to praise our King together. If you notice, if you come in the rear entrance, we have a sign that says in huge letters, Jesus is King. Do <laughs> you believe that this morning? <laughs> I believe that this morning. I'm banking on that this morning. As you know, we have an election coming up here in a few days. I'm so thankful that we live in a land where we can vote. And uh, so thankful for that. And we need to pray for our nation. But I want to encourage you as brothers and sisters, if Jesus is king, we can say with Paul, I am content in all circumstances. So Paul is a Roman citizen. He enjoyed the rights and the freedoms that came with that. He could be content with that, but he could also be content in a prison cell. That can only happen if Jesus is our king. And if only we have the peace and the blessing. We sang this morning that God blesses us, that his favor is upon us. If that is true, nothing can take that away. And so let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. It is our authority today. And Jesus, we proclaim that you are king. And because you are king, you are Lord. And we bow before you. You alone are worthy of our worship and our praise because we know blessing and freedom comes from you. And you've blessed our land, our nation. We're so thankful for the United States of America. What a beautiful land. What a beautiful people that you have created, that you have made. We thank you for our history. We thank you for all that you've done. And God, today our hearts do not despair. We are not worried because we know that God, your purposes will not be thwarted. And so God... Heal our land, the divides, the turmoil. God, bring healing, bring restoration, bring hope, bring peace, bring that favor, that blessing that we sang about today through Jesus Christ. Lord, we turn to you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. First John. What a beautiful, beautiful book First John is. And I pray that your hearts have been encouraged and edified through this word that we are going through verse by verse. Uh, we're going to read in a few minutes, but first I want to tell you a story because um, I've learned as I'm going through First John, as you are, that um, I really need to have the book of Genesis open and the book of Song of Songs open while I read First John. <laughs> because... This is a love story, and it's also a story about God's purposes of creation. We're told in 1 John at the very beginning, right? The very beginning. This is going back to Genesis when God created his purpose, his plan. And we're told in 1 John that ultimately God's purpose and plan was that we might have fellowship. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. This is what we long for. This is what we were created for. So we all have love stories of different kinds, different ways. I was just uh, part of a wedding this past weekend, and uh, there's something really beautiful about a wedding. I love being part of it. Uh, In fact, the whole Bible story is kind of a story about a wedding, and the whole story of human history will be culminated in the marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) So I really enjoyed at the reception this weekend just sitting back and watching People just celebrate, enjoy fellowship, relationships. So we all have a love story, and I, I want to just tell you a little bit about mine. And, uh, but listen to this with the idea of God's love story. And I think each of our stories are beautiful and so unique. Um, 
I went to school in Chicago, and uh, when I went to uh, Moody Bible Institute, uh, I felt and believed that God invited me or asked me not to date for a while. And uh, there's nothing wrong with dating. So if you're single here, there's nothing wrong with dating. It's a beautiful thing uh, to do. But I felt for my story and my time that God didn't want me to date for a while. And so uh, for two years of college, I didn't date. And uh, it was a beautiful two years of, of growing in so many different ways of transformation in my life. And um, so the summer after my sophomore year, as I was getting ready to go into my junior year, I had stayed in Chicago to work over the summer, and uh, so I was on campus earlier than normal, and all the freshmen were coming on to campus to get ready for uh, their first time in college in the school year, and uh, I was in my dorm room, and a friend came up to me and said, Ben, hey, uh, there's this group of freshmen, and, and they're new to Chicago, and I was, my job is to go take them out to eat and go see some of the city, and I don't want to do it by myself. Will you come with me? And I said, you know, I'm really tired. I worked all day. I don't really feel like going out right now. And he said, no, you have to come with me. <laughs> you are going to come with me. It's like, okay, all right, I'll go with you. So we went out to eat, and there was about maybe 20 of us. And it was fun. It was a nice time sitting around, eating, getting to know each other. And um, little did I know, my present-day wife, Jill, was in that group. Uh, I didn't notice her at the restaurant. And then we went to a, a coffee shop afterwards. Some people had gone back to the school, but some of us uh, went to the coffee shop, and so there were fewer of us. And I sat down, and uh, there was a girl in front of me, and then Jill was sitting next to me. And uh, I was just asking a lot of questions, just getting to know them. And, and then I turned to Jill, and I began to ask her questions. It was the first time that I really looked at her. And I went, Wow. <laughs> and so I asked questions, and she started to share a little about her life and a little bit about who she was, and I said, wow, wow. <laughs> Remember, two years, I haven't dated, I haven't pursued any relationships with any girls, and all of a sudden, something was stirring inside of me. <laughs> and I was like, I want to get to know this girl. I want to know her. And over the next days and weeks, something strange was happening inside of me. <laughs> because I had a schedule, I had priorities, and all of a sudden everything was getting thrown out the window, out the door. And I all of a sudden had all this time to go places I normally didn't go, to find Jill in places that, you know, I went out of my way to be around her, to get to know her, to pursue her. And here I am, 17 years later, <laughs> married to her, and I'm still pursuing her. But what's so beautiful about that is God awakened something in me. And I remember so clearly after those first few times that I got to know her, I said, God, do I have permission to date this girl? <laughs> and I felt from God, yes, go for it, Ben. And I'm so thankful that he gave me that permission and that blessing. So why do I tell you this story? We're going to read a passage here. And let me pose this question. Jill became my primary and first love and continues to be my primary and first love to this day. I couldn't imagine life without her. What would happen if I allowed or if she allowed other loves into that relationship, what would happen?
that would obviously affect our fellowship, our relationship. But think about it. How would that, if as your pastor, if I allowed other relationship or other primary love into my life or her into your life, how would that affect you? It would cause brokenness, hurt, pain. Uh, we, we all know the word adultery, right? It's a painful word. You, know, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to know anything about God. But adultery is painful. Why? It's broken relationship, broken fellowship. So with that in mind, let's stand and read God's word. Starting in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If you just hold on to that word, in them. If you have your Bible, circle that. The love of the Father is not in them. That's important. In them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And you can circle that, lives forever. Actually, that word in the Greek is abides, abides. If you go back to John 15, where Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. It's the same word, that abide and live forever. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. By the way, those who are joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're with us this morning as we worship God and seek him in his word. So it's interesting as we go through 1 John and remember in 1 John chapter 1, we're invited into relationship, fellowship with the Father, fellowship through Jesus, fellowship in the Holy Spirit, and fellowship with one another. And this is the invitation of God to be in relationship with him. And then we learn about how we can have relationship with him, not through our own effort, but through his grace. He's our advocate. It's his righteousness. It's his sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven and to be made in right relationship with him. A covenant is made. A marriage is sealed between us and God. And so out of last week, this invitation to growth in that relationship to children, to young men, to fathers. And the word of God lives in you, he says in verse 14. But now the command, do not love the world or anything in the world. My brothers and sisters, the battle is in the heart and it's for our love. The battle's in our hearts and it's for our love love. It's, it's, this is a love story. <laughs> this is God's love story. And it's in his invitation to his bride to come to receive his love, to receive his fellowship, that intimacy, that partnership, that koinonia with him. Oh, it's the greatest joy. <laughs> it's the greatest joy. But there's a warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So what is the world? What is the world? That's an important question. But it's a battle for our love. It's a battle for our hearts. And here's what I want us to really pay attention to. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. 
And so what he's talking about is not out there, it's in here. A few weeks ago, Nick said, boy, when we go through 1 John, we can start looking at other people or thinking about other people. But we can't do that. The, 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 the reality is we need to look in here. We need to look at ourselves. Where's our heart? It's in here. The world is a reality. There's external pressure. There's external temptation. There's external desires. But what God cares about is in here. <laughs> and the blessing is in here. The, the, the reality of love is in here. And so throughout these verses, he's going to describe the world and its temptation. Now, if it's in here, then this is really about our identity. This is about our identity. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Nick brought that up as he went in, uh, in, verse, in chapter 2 about this identity, about who we really are. And if you think about it, and again, if we have the Song of Solomons and Genesis open in front of us, if you go back to Genesis, God creates this beautiful place. And so we know that this world that he's talking about, do not love the world, is not the material, physical world around us. Because what did God say in Genesis? It's very good. <laughs> the light is good. Everything that is created is good. God is good. And we see that goodness and that order all around us. And so he's not talking about lo- not loving material things or the created things or the good things around us. He's talking about something else. And so in Genesis, he creates this beautiful garden and it has everything that Adam and Eve needs to flourish <laughs> and survive. And God made it good. And he made Adam and Eve, a man and a woman, to live in that koinia fellowship, intimacy, as man and wife, as one flesh. Again, a marriage. And it's beautiful. And yet, God said, everything is good and you're free to eat from it. Enjoy it. Except one tree. The knowledge of good and evil. When we talk about the world, this is a reference to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the same thing. There's a connection there. So when you read Genesis and you read 1 John, you see the world, think of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And by the way, God didn't say don't eat it because because he knew that it would destroy them. It was dangerous. Because what did he say? If you eat of it, you'll die. This will kill you. This will destroy you. Don't do it because I want, I want what's good for you. I want you to live. I want you to be free. In fact, if you go to Genesis, it says you are free. That was his first commandment was a commandment of freedom. God is a God of freedom. We we're saying that this morning. Where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. God is not an oppressive God. He is a God of freedom. But he also loves us enough to warn us of what's dangerous. And he gives them the freedom to choose. He doesn't force them. He invites them. Enjoy what I've given, but be careful. There's a tree that will destroy you. It will kill you. It will eat your soul. And so this world is really the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if there was a a first Adam, in Romans chapter 5, it says there was a second Adam. Praise God that he sent Jesus into this world as the second Adam. Because we all, like the first Adam, have eaten of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you go back in chapter 2, it says, we have all have sinned. And if you say you don't have sin, then you're a liar. And so the reality for us as human beings is we've already eaten of that fruit. It's already destroying us and it's eating away 
in our souls. It's eating away in our hearts and it's destroying our world. And we see evidence all around us. Just read the paper (laughs) and you see the evidence of it, right? But what does it say? In Jesus Christ, the righteous one, we have an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so the second Adam comes. And just like the first Adam and Eve in the garden, he also is tempted because it says in the Genesis story that Adam and Eve, they saw the tree and they said they they desired it. It looked good on the outside. And it says they desired it. And so what do we have in Jesus to understand what the battle is and how he has won the battle and how we can obey this commandment not to love the world or anything in the world? And so Jesus, in the story, comes to the place of the wilderness. It says the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. You can go back and read this in Matthew chapter 4. But what happened before Jesus went into the wilderness? You guys remember? It says that Jesus went to the Jordan River. (laughs) And it was at the Jordan River where he met John the Baptist. And it says he went into those waters. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And he came out of the water. And it says that the Spirit of God was there like a dove. And the voice of God spoke from heaven and says, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him... I am well pleased. (laughs) This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. It's identity. Who are we? Who are you? Who am I? (laughs) Why are we here, right? Our identity. This is a story about our identity and it's our heart's that need to understand this because this is the place of love. This is the place of desire. This is the place where everything flows out of us. Jesus said it is within a person. It's within us. Remember, it's the love of the Father in us. It is us living in him. It is in you. It is in me. Who are we? This is a battle over our identity. And what does Jesus reveal? That he is a son. (laughs) Did you know in Jesus Christ that you are a son and a daughter? That's why he came, to make you a son and a daughter, to adopt you into his family, just like we saw this morning, all those orphans. Without parents, Jesus sees our condition as orphans and says, come into the family of God. We are called sons and daughters. And so Jesus reveals that to us, the Second Adam, our righteousness, our advocates, shows a different way, the way of understanding our identity. And so it's in that understanding. The love of the Father is in him. This is my son whom I love. The love of the Father is in him. And then he goes into the wilderness. And so my dear brothers and sisters, the most important thing you can hear this morning is that the love of the Father is in you. The love of the Father is in you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he is well pleased with you. He is blessing you. In that place, you can face the battle, the tempter. And so there's three temptations here. And Jesus faced three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so Jesus, in the wilderness, came after 40 days and 40 nights without eating, and it says he was hungry. 
Do you have desires stirring in you? It might not be for bread this morning. Maybe you are hungry. Maybe you're thinking about that lunch right now. But maybe there's a desire, there's a, there's a hunger in you. What are you going to do with that desire? What are you going to do with that hunger? Because Jesus understands hunger. He understands desire because he became one of us. And the devil came to Jesus and he said, turn those stones to bread. (laughs) Turn those stones to bread. And so the question of Jesus' identity that Satan tempted him with is, who are you and are you what you do? And so that is the temptation of the less of the flesh is that somehow we can become who we are by what we do. I mean, don't you feel that temptation every day? Because how are we judged by this world? By what we do. It will destroy us. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's how Satan comes against us. Turn those stones to bread. But God didn't make stones to feed us. <laughs> but we, how many times do we try to be fed by things that were never meant to feed us. How many of you have tried to find your identity in things that were never meant to give you identity? Your job is not your identity. What you do is not your identity. Isn't that good news? (laughs) Isn't that good news? But this world, what does it say? You are what you do. But what did Jesus say to the devil? (laughs) He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus said, I am not what I do. I am something much more significant. I have enough because I have the love of the Father. He is my identity. He is the one who gives me significance. I am enough because of him. My sufficiency comes from him, not what I do. Do not love the world or anything in the world. The second temptation, the lust of the eyes. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, is the one that, that gets to my heart. This is a battle in my heart. And the devil took Jesus up into the highest point in Jerusalem. And so there he was over the big city and the highest place. And the devil says, throw yourself off, jump off. And the angels will come and they will rescue you. And here's the temptation. Here's the desire. Here is what the lie is about our identity. Many times we think our identity is found in what people think of us or what people say about us. Because imagine, the devil says to Jesus, he says, if you do that, then people will say that you truly are the Son of God. (laughs) Then they will think you're something special. Then they will say, wow, this is a lie from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that will destroy our souls. Because what does Jesus say to the devil? He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That fruit, it looks really good on the outside, right? Eve said, I want to eat that. It looks wonderful. But on the inside, it was rotten. It made her sick, and it made Adam so sick. And I can tell you, because I've lived this, is that if we live 
to please others, to get other people to say good things about us, it will be a cancer that will destroy our souls. And I have wrestled with that. And it's ugly. Because my identity, my significance is not found in what people will say or what people think. (laughs) It is found in, in my father who says, you are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And so we don't test God's love because God's love doesn't change. (laughs) It's it's firm. We don't have to jump off buildings. We don't have to do amazing things. We don't have to get people's attention. We're secure. We have peace. We know who we are. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And the last one, the pride of life. How many of us have been tempted like Jesus where Satan took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the possessions and the power that this world has to offer, all the positions and money that this world has, the militaries, everything that this world has produced. And he said, Jesus, you can have this if you only worship me. The lie of our identity is that somehow we are what we possess. We are what we possess. And so Satan, he brings that temptation that we are what we do, or we are what people say about us, or we are what we possess. But what did Jesus say to that devil? <laughs> he said, I will only worship God. Only God is worthy of my love and my affection. My identity, my significance isn't in what I possess or what I have. It is in is in God. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Because the most beautiful treasure that we have is love of the Father in us, to be in the love of the Father. (laughs) And Jesus, the second Adam, showed us that that love is greater and more beautiful and more wonderful than anything this world can offer us. And the battle is in here. The battle is in here. And so with me, say this morning, Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth nothing that I desire besides you. Oh, my heart and my flesh may fail. And some of you here this morning, you're in that battle. There's desires that are raging in your hearts. There's temptation that you know will draw you away that is attacking your identity. Oh, your hearts and our flesh, they're weak. They are so weak, and God knows that. But God is my strength. And there are some of you here today that you're in a battle for your hearts, for your identities. And you need to hear those words from God that you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. You need to hear that your sins are forgiven. And that God is your strength. (laughs) That God is your strength. That he is enough. That he can provide what you most need. That hunger that you have, that desire you have, cannot be filled with anything besides who God is. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. Can you pray that today? (laughs) Can you pray that God is your strength, that he is your portion today? We're going to take communion. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here.
And this is the reminder of the marriage supper, the relationship we have with God. Verse 17, the world and its desires will pass away. But whoever does the will of God abides or lives forever. And so here's the invitation for us as we come into communion. Will we trust God in what he says? Or will we reject him? That's the question. Will we trust what God has said? That's doing the will of God. Jesus said, believe in me. Trust in me. Receive me. It is by faith we are saved. God's not looking for you to do a bunch of things. He just wants your heart. He wants your love. He's inviting you to trust him, to believe what he has said. And so when Jesus said, this is my body, it's been broken for you. You are forgiven. You are made whole. You are my son. You are my daughter. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to get people's approval or attention. You don't need the power and the possessions of this world because you have everything in me. It's enough. You are enough. And so we take this bread and we eat it believing in Jesus. The other invitation that Jesus makes to us today says, this is my blood poured out for you. Now, you know what's interesting about blood? It's where our life comes from. It's also, as my wife and I have been blessed with three kids, that fellowship I have with my wife, that intimacy, God has blessed us with three children whose blood in their veins comes from us. Because of my sin and her sin, there's a virus in our blood, and it's destroying. It destroys But Jesus, give something to my kids that I can't give to them. Because someday they'll die and they're going to struggle. They're going to have battles. But what they most need is the blood of Jesus. Life-giving blood that's virus-free. That's free from disease. That's free from all the troubles and trials that we have. And it's his blood that makes us whole. That gives us life. It's in his blood that we have fellowship communion unity peace this is the gift of Jesus let's remember that his blood was poured out for us